Welcome to another episode of the Tudor Zone podcast, where a little time makes a big difference. Today, we have invited one of our bloggers, Viviana Cabrera, also one of our instructors, who is studying in the field of psychology. And so she's very connected to the blog that she's written here about learning disabilities. It's always been something extremely relevant in the education field, probably something that just wasn't talked about enough. And so our goal now is to help our parents, anyone who's out there listening, feel more empowered by what are your rights, um, how you can advocate for your kiddos, um, what exactly an IEP process is, and, and all the intricacies that come behind it. So Vivi is here to present to us today the blog that we have put out. We really encourage you guys to go and read our blog on our website. But we're going to kind of go through it so we can make sure we digest it and add some content to, to it together. So Vivi, welcome. Why don't we start with some of the statistics that you came across as you started to do some of your research to help us put to, into content how prevalent learning disabilities may be out in the education field. Yeah, so I think looking over the statistics when writing this blog, I was a little shocked because I also fell under this kind of false idea that learning disability or students with learning disabilities, there's not that many of them. So actually what we found is that one in five children have either a learning disability or a learning difficulty. And actually, unfortunately, although there is a high rate of students with learning disabilities, most schools don't provide resources to support them. There's only about one in 42 public schools who have these resources for 504 plans and one in 16 public schools have resources for IEP plans. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, there's so much there. So to start off with just one in every five kids have either a learning disability or learning difficulties. As someone who runs a tutoring center, obviously I've gotten a chance to see a lot of kids who have learning difficulties. But many of these students who have learning difficulties have them because of a, a reason, a specific reason such as a learning disability. And I think quite often our society and maybe as, as parents and not understanding what a learning disability is, we immediately maybe become reserved and kind of worried that our kid is going to be put in special ed or they're going to be taken out of the regular classes. And I think the goal of this, especially this conversation, is for parents to know that if your son or daughter has a learning disability, the goal is to start helping them with support so that they can continue on their general ed track. And there are many ways to get there. But let's start, Vivi, with really just clearly identifying or explaining what is a learning disability based on your research? Yeah, so a learning disability is something that affects a child or a student's ability to kind of learn with the typical kind of way that people learn in class. They just have like a unique way of learning. Okay, so if we define it as a unique way of learning, by the way, again, a company that runs everything one-on-one, -on -one, I've grown to value so much the customization of learning. I think if we can adjust learning to the style of every individual, then I think the learning can go to another level. I mean, we have parents all the time come in and tell us, well, my son just can't really concentrate uh, well in a group. Great, we do everything one-on-one. -on -one. I'll be able to get them up to the whiteboard and keep their attention span. Um, he doesn't really like to read unless he reads things that he loves. Okay, great, let's read things that he loves. And, you can really see the power of, you know, one-on-one -on -one instruction. And so 
understanding that a learning disability just means that you have a unique way of learning, then that means that we need to go through this process to figure out how we can enhance um, that unique style. And so I think, Vivi, you would agree that the IEP is kind of the prevalent, almost like path to start to discover what is that unique uh, kind of way, right? And if you do agree, can you enlighten us a little bit with what is an IEP? Yeah, so since a student with a learning disability does have a unique way of learning, uh, IEP actually stands for an individualized education plan. So with assessment and evaluation, they're able to kind of figure out what way in what ways like this student can thrive in school and have this high quality education that they do have a right to. And so, yeah, it's just based off of um, an assessment and an evaluation typically done by the school psychologist at the school site. Um, and then you have a whole team that kind of comes together to create a support system for the student. Awesome. I do want to talk about that support system because I think it's extremely important. Um, but just to bring it back into, you know, some, some data here, you mentioned in your blog that 2.3 million kids have either an IEP or a learning disability. So first of all, that, that means that just because you have a learning disability, it doesn't mean that you already have an IEP. Um, and I think that's where that whole support system comes in, um, kind of how parents and teachers need to advocate for our kids. How do we kind of get that IEP started? I believe you kind of talked a little bit about having to request, is that correct? Yeah, so um, unfortunately you do have to request for an evaluation to be done for your student. Um, usually, hopefully a teacher will recognize, you know, the student's need and their kind of difficulty with learning so they can be the person who speaks to parents about this but really it's up to a parent to realize that their student is having trouble in learning and kind of see which ways they can help them and then maybe they'll be brought to this idea of um, getting a stu their student evaluated and assessed to get this IEP plan. Yeah and so many parents should feel that their word in in the life of their education uh, the educational life of their students is powerful because they can go and say, I would like my son or daughter to be assessed um, just so we can figure out if there's something extra here that is possibly holding them back. I think especially in this moment, we talk at Tutors on a lot about the academic COVID gap, right? In the last two years, our kiddos have had to learn in many different environments, maybe not the ideal ones, um, in a computer, um, with mass, with all these challenges that they already faced. And so obviously many of them are struggling academically, but some of them are struggling academically also because possibly there's a learning disability there, right? And so as mom or dad, you do have the right to go to school and say, I would like my son or daughter to be tested. And hopefully, and I have been seeing this a little bit more, so kudos to teachers who are advocating for the kids as well and saying, hey, I think we need to test him or her because maybe there's an extra challenge here. That word advocacy seems to come up a little bit in your blog. Maybe, um, maybe how do you kind of put that in, into your own words in terms of what advocacy in this kind of conversation uh, matters? Yeah, so advocacy is really important in education and it usually comes on behalf of like um, school faculty or parents, typically because students are a little bit more younger and they don't have kind of that confidence or maybe that ability to seek out these resources. So that's when the parent or the school staff comes in and seeks out these resources to help support the student. It's just advocating for their rights to this education, to this high quality education that they do deserve and need.
Absolutely. And we'll, we'll kind of get a little bit into the rights um, down the road here. But um, I just, again, for 15 years of being a part of kind of a individualized learning, I've seen a lot of different learning disabilities. And again, I think that word disabilities for many kind of makes us think more of like a physical disability. And quite often it's not. I, I've seen the, the main one that I usually see with students is a processing issue, which just means they need more time. They need more support, um, kind of give them patience to let the, the, the information be digested. I've seen a student who struggled with just taking whatever was on the whiteboard and being able to transfer it to a piece of paper. And so eventually we're gonna talk about accommodations that can help with that, but an accommodation was printing out the notes for him uh, so that he can continue again to be in the general ed track, but just not fall further behind because he couldn't transfer the notes from the piece of paper uh, to the whiteboard. So let's, let's kind of get a little bit more technical here and let's talk about the difference between an IEP and a 504 plan, because I think that might be something that parents encounter a lot. Vivi, can you clarify that for us? Yeah, so I think sometimes people don't know about the 504 plan that exists. Usually what comes to mind is an IEP when a student has a learning disability. But just the difference, like the main difference if you're trying to like distinguish between the two is that an IEP is a lot more structured and it kind of brings in more I guess you can say resources and support to help the student in terms of like special education. So they may be kind of delayed in their reading abilities. Like a student who is reading, who's in fifth grade, but is unfortunately reading at a second grade level, they would qualify for an IEP plan. But if there's a student who's also a fifth grader and they're reading at a fifth grade level, they're just having more behavior difficulties, then they would qualify for a 504 plan. So it's just less kind of support and resources being put in, but nonetheless, they're still getting that support. Yeah. That's super good to know. I think it isn't always just academic. Sometimes it can be behavioral. Um, it could be, you know, the way they kind of cope, social components or so on. So there are a lot of other factors that can go into this. And I know Vivi would probably love to have a whole psychology conversation about this, but we'll kind of keep it today to just talking about, you know, the IEP component. Um, I would love to talk about accommodations versus modifications, because I think that's extremely important for parents to understand. So Vivi, if you would like to kind of tell us a little bit about them and what are the accommodations on a general kind of sphere that, that you kind of came across and then maybe I can add some content to some actual real life ones that we've seen. Yeah, so um, understanding the difference between accommodations and modifications is really important when kind of understanding the whole IEP that has been created for your student. Um, generally, or overall accommodations are just a way to accommodate your student in a general education classroom. So there might be what I wrote in the blog is a variation in time, a variation in like how the instruction is being delivered or a variation in how a student can kind of respond to instruction. Maybe it's not raising your hand. Maybe it's kind of coming in after class to discuss with the teacher or maybe more one on one with the peers and just a variation in assignments that they're expected to compete complete for the week. So maybe less, maybe divided much more throughout the week rather than given all at once. Perfect, so for clarity, those are accommodations, yes. right? So we're saying we are gonna continue to kind of you know, function with the same type of math that they're supposed to be seeing at their grade level and reading, but we're gonna accommodate it in terms of time, in terms of the way it's delivered, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, great. So those are accommodations before we kind of give too many other examples. How about the difference between a modification? Yeah, so a modification instead changes what a student is expected to learn. So kind of 
they're still learning the same material. It's just modified at a way that they're able to kind of grasp and what's the word kind of just like take in the material in a different way than um, a student who doesn't have a learning disability would. Completely. I think you did a great job of explaining that. I want to give a little context of like a real life situation of how it's important to understand both. So let's, let's pretend we have a high schooler, a freshman coming into school. By the way, if you're in the public school system, and we'll talk a little bit about this, when you leave your, your eighth grade uh, or when you leave your elementary school and you're going to middle school, your IEP goes with you. So that's super important. Um, one of the, I think, most enjoyable meetings I, I've been a part of is at an IEP with a parent who was an incoming ninth grader. Uh, so leaving eighth grade, coming to ninth grade. And all the, the teachers, the counselors for the high school now come to like, in a way, meet the student learn about their IEP, make sure that whatever accommodations were working in eighth grade are carrying over to ninth grade, right? So I think that ought to give us a lot of comfort to know that we're not just gonna have to start new and start fresh when we go to a new school. Um, obviously, again, I'm talking about the public school system and we'll see some differences there that I think Vivi can clarify for us about going to a private school and how that might be different. But the student, um, you know, we're sitting there and, and the mom said like, well, can we modify his curriculum and, and quickly the principal made a really good point to say we can't modify because the moment we modify the curriculum he may no longer be on his A through G requirement track and if the goal is to graduate with your A through G requirements so that you can go to a four-year college then we need to continue to um, accommodate his learning not modify the curriculum right and so a modification is a change in the curriculum at times or the way it's delivered or the quantity of deliverance or the pace, meaning you're no longer maybe on the same track to graduate. It might just take longer. It might take a little bit more adjustments, et cetera. But if we're just accommodating, you're walking hand in hand with the general ed track so that you can graduate at the same pace. Just a little context there. Um, Vivi, do you wanna add a little bit about the difference way, the different ways that maybe a public school and a private school might kind of react or uh, adjust to the accommodations, or I'm sorry, to the IEPs based on your findings? Yeah, so with public schools, you are, I don't wanna say more likely to get an IEP or more likely to receive the support, but since public school is public, you're more likely to receive these free educational services. Whereas in private school, you may have to pay extra, but there is a positive with private schools. Um, with my research, I saw that there are private schools who specifically um, kind of work with students with learning disabilities. So they create these smaller classrooms, this more individualized instruction. So there's a lot of pros and cons between the two um, public and private schools. Yeah, I think one of the main things that I've seen is that public schools kind of have requirements. They're more, you have to abide by certain laws because obviously your funding comes from the state, et cetera. And so they can't get away with saying like, well, we're not gonna do an IEP or we can't do accommodations. Where a private school is a private entity and they can set their own guidelines. And so like Vivi mentioned, there may be public schools whose focus is to help students with a specific type of learning disability. Maybe they're known because they're amazing at helping students with dyslexia. Um, and so that might be a great fit if your son or daughter has dyslexia, where there might be private schools who just don't really cater to an IEP community, to a learning disability uh, type of community. And so I think as a parent, again, 
it, it all comes back to the way we advocate for our kids. The research we got to do if we are thinking about picking or choosing a private school and we have a student who has a learning disability, it, it needs to be starting with that, that point right away in the conversation. Let's go then to the right, Vivi. Um, basically, in a just a simple kind of approach, what are the rights of students or parents who maybe fall into this um, IEP? And, and then maybe you could tell us what law, you know, kind of gives them that right. Yeah, so I think overall the right is for your student to have a high quality education. And this could be by getting an IEP. Um, so getting your student evaluated and assessed to have those accommodations and modifications that they may need for their um, learning, for their instruction. So they're also, um, they also have a right to educational services that may be provided through their IEP or may be provided just outside through the school district. Um, and yeah, they're just, they have a right to learn. That's like the big thing. And this learning may come with these additional resources that another student may not be needing to receive. Awesome. Um, and again, just to kind of bring it all and put some perspective, you, you have the student struggle in school, you go and advocate for them to be assessed. A school psychologist kind of goes through the assessment. They bring in the parent, the nurse, the, the teachers, the principal, and everyone sits around and kind of speaks about what it is the findings were. And now as a team, a team that all their focus should be to make sure that the student can excel and thrive in in an in a academic setting, now comes up with a game plan filled with accommodations, possibly some modifications if the need may be, on what we can do to support and enhance their learning. And that could require speech, uh, pulling them out of class for 10 minutes of reading in small groups, occupational therapy. I mean, it's an array of things. Uh, we're not going to try to kind of put too much specificity on, on each situation. I've gotten the opportunity to sit in a lot of them. Parents have blessed me with uh, asking me to come in as an instructor because I think uh, a tutor who works one-on-one -on -one should totally be in the know about how I can continue to be a part of that team as well. And so TutorZone believes that we need to be a part of that conversation, but also because what I've seen is parents are intimidated by this kind of process. And so because of that intimidation, we usually offer ourselves. There's a whole profession uh, that's kind of like an, a learning disability advocate where you can pay someone to kind of go in there and advocate for your rights, et cetera. I think the way we are advocating is by empowering parents with information. And so hopefully if you didn't know much about this conversation or you felt like you didn't have the, the intricacies, you now feel much more empowered, much more confident to be able to go out there now and advocate for your son or daughter. Vivi, I love to just kind of get your last take on what was this process like for you? Maybe the biggest takeaway, again, as a, a future psychologist, maybe you could tell us what you hope your future will be and how you might be a part of this conversation itself. Yeah, so I'm excited for my future to hopefully be a school psychologist and get to be a part of this um, support system, the support team that it's going to help students receive this education that they do have a right to. Um, I think looking to the future, I know you touched upon it, this COVID gap that exists. I think that's going to be a big thing that um, parents are going to have to advocate for, advocate for these resources for their students, whether it be tutoring, whether it be much more opportunity to receive individualized instruction. So I guess looking to the future, looking to next year when things maybe start to 
get a little bit more normal in terms of learning, um, we're going to see a little bit more of that. But I'm excited to be a part of that future and hopefully give these um, rights to students. Awesome. And to just bring it all back, there definitely is a lot of funding out there right now to support these students. Um, how it's being done by every district is different. Um, we've been blessed with an opportunity through the ABC Unified School District to support students of special needs, students who have learning disabilities in small group tutoring. And tutoring usually does play a very, very important role in um, this conversation, because if you have a unique style of learning, Quite often, unfortunately, you aren't able to be taught one-on-one -on -one in the classroom. And so having that extra support from someone who can customize your learning or who can really adapt it to you is important. Um, thank you guys so much for being a part of this conversation. We hope to continue this. Um, this wasn't the, the one time and all, like we continue to kind of keep this dialogue going as it's extremely important for parents to grow in the knowledge. Uh, we hope to see you guys again. Thank you for spending a little time here with the Tutor Zone podcast.